If you need help getting Social Security disability benefits, then this podcast is for you. Give me 15 minutes and I'll pull back the curtain on disability and reveal the secrets to winning I've learned over the past 25 plus years. Hi, I'm Jonathan Ginsberg and I'm a practicing Social Security disability lawyer. I want to help deserving claimants just like you win the benefits you deserve and not one penny less. Now, if you already know you need help today, go to ssdanswers.com for a free and confidential evaluation of your case. It takes just two minutes. That's ssdanswers.com, and I'd love to hear from you. Now, let's start the show. In today's episode of the SSD Radio Podcast, I'm speaking with my friend and colleague, Attorney Stephanie Joy. Stephanie has practiced Social Security Disability Law for over 20 years in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, although her practice is national in scope. I got to know her through a LinkedIn group she hosts called the SSD Roundtable. This is a monthly Zoom meeting open to Social Security disability lawyers from all over the country, where we share ideas, discuss strategies, and often vent about our daily dealings with SSA. If you're a disability lawyer, please check out the monthly Zoom roundtable. You'll find it very useful. I invited Stephanie in the podcast to talk about Social Security's forms. Social Security loves forms, and they'll send you a myriad of forms to fill out. Among these are things with titles like Adult Disability Report, Activities of Daily Living, Work History Report, among many others. The problem is There are not a lot of instructions about how to fill out these forms, and it's very easy to make incorrect assumptions about what what SSA is asking. If you're not careful, a question you answer in a form can end up hurting your case if you understand the question to mean one thing while SSA meant something else. In our conversation today, Stephanie and I discuss best practices for filling out SSA's forms so that you don't inadvertently hurt your case. I hope you find our conversation helpful as you navigate the Social Security Disability Claims process. I welcome everybody to the SSD Radio Podcast, and today I have as my guest Stephanie Joy. Stephanie is a disability attorney um, in Pennsylvania. Uh, So Stephanie, welcome, and tell me a little bit about yourself and your practice. Thank you, Jonathan. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so I have been practicing, well, law for close to 30 years late high 20s i suppose you must have started when you were 15. no yeah right (laughs) Uh, no i'm I'm getting up there um but social security disability i started uh exclusively in 25 um 2005 um although i still had some new jersey practice cases lingering that i had to finish up but then i just never looked back (laughs) got it got it and you are located where you're in um uh, someplace in Pennsylvania near Jersey, is that right? Yeah, right over the border in the Poconos, Stroudsburg okay. area, Monroe County. Okay, very good. And your practice is na- national, like a lot of us have gone national because of the virtual hearings. Yeah, well, I actually was from the start. Um, it was a little more tenuous back then because a judge had to agree mm-hmm. to let you go on video. And um my my OHA was very good about reserving a room for me, and I would go there, and I'd be the one that was remote, okay, uh, to wherever it was. But so yeah, that that definitely initially was a little tenuous because the the um you know ALJ had to approve it. But now of course things are different. Yeah, it's much much different. Actually, I kind of like it. I don't. That's my personal. I love it. 
Yep. All right. So let's talk about social security forms. I know one of the things that um, my clients are getting a lot of now are these forms, the adult disability report, the adult function report, pain questionnaires, work history, et cetera, et cetera. First of all, did anybody, and I know you've done a lot of videos about this on your Rumble and your YouTube channel. Does anybody actually read these forms? What, what, what's your take on all that? When you say read them, are you talking about the SSA people? Or yeah, the SSA clients? people, then, then the judges. Because I think, I know a lot of my clients, and you may find the same thing, get very, very um, uh, freaked out about having to fill these forms out. And, you know, it, it's scary. You get this form, and typically they'll send it to them and say it's due on the 15th. They get it on the 12th, and they don't really know what to do. And so, you know, the first question is, does, is anybody really reading these forms? What What is the important thing to keep in mind when you're filling them out? But first of all, is anybody reading them in your experience? You know, I, I don't know how much they read them at initial and recon. I think they do a little bit, though, because I've had people who didn't mention an impairment, uh, specifically the one very recently was hearing, mm -hmm. hearing impairment, because um, it wasn't their big bad one that took them out of work. And I learned of it um, subsequently, and then it was put on the, on the function report, and the... And it's not like she had been treated for it. She had just been told by one of her doctors in passing that, you know. So the adjudicator did follow up um, and asked if there had been treatment. And of course there wasn't, but then we we got it. It turns out it's pretty profound hearing loss. Um, so I so that makes me think they, they do. Um, other than that, though, I think the bigger, you know, I tell people, um, it, it, we, we, I use it at ALJ hearings. I use it to bolster, you know, consistency of complaints and stuff like that. So at some point, the judge is going to be seeing it. Um, I also think they read them. Um, this is how do I word this? As I said it before, I, I feel like it will be used to see if it can cause a denial. Right. I know that sounds bad, but like if you say something really inconsistent with what you've told your doctors, I think it can be used against you. Um so it's not going to win you your case, but I think they do read them to see if there's something um, that can support a denial at, at the earlier levels anyway. Yep. Yep. Well, at hearings, I mean, I, you know, I used to think nobody really read them because, uh, you know, you see people fill them out. It almost seems like busy work to some degree. But on the other hand, I've had a number of hearings where judges will re refer back to them and say, you know, on this report, you said, you know, you could not do any work in the kitchen, let's say, but now you're testifying that you do occasionally cook or you can't vacuum and you said you could. So I think the judges actually do read them. I um, agree. You know, I agree. And, and they're like you said, I think in, in some ways, and, and I think a lot of people don't really get this, that Social Security, unfortunately, they're looking for reasons to deny you. So if you're inconsistent um, at which put what you put in the form, um, you know, that's certainly a reason to challenge your credibility. So no, no, yeah, I, I think it's so, and, and this is probably not something I didn't, I didn't recognize this probably 15, 20 years ago, but today I feel like the forms that everything that supports everything all the way through, like what we do today is going to be affecting the case next year. Yep. It's going to, it's going to, you know, vastly, I think, impact the win or the lose. So, um, yeah, I think that they are work history is a whole different story, but um the function report, I really do. Like you said, I think they they'll pull pieces of it and refer to it in a denial. I've also seen them pull things to support um a, a, an award at the ALJ level. Okay. So I can't speak so much for the lower level, except for the fact that I saw them pull out a, a complaint on an impairment that was either in I think it was in uh question 20 on the function report. And they checked off hearing. And so she had to, if she was doing her job, the adjudicator, follow up on it. Mm -hmm. And she did, to her credit. 
And um, that's where we, you know, started rolling with that a little bit more. Um, Now, I think one thing I, you know, the, I also, when I'm telling my clients about the forms, I tell them to be very specific. You know, I think that people in conversation tend to say, I can't sit very long or I can't walk very far. Of course, that doesn't mean anything. Um, so speak to that. And do you talk about, you know, when you're talking to your clients, I mean, how specific do you tell them to be when they're completing these forms? Um, well, it's a double-edged sword, right? So if they are going to be very vague or not specific, uh, that might be preferable to a a, a, a bad answer <laughs> that would by the numbers because I find that when they a lot of times when they try to give numbers they guess like how far can you walk and they mm-hmm. they totally guess and they'll say a mile and so when I speak to them about it I say when's the last time you walked a mile and well gosh it's been years but I I assume I could do that yeah well don't assume you know mm-hmm. other you other you went and found out. And was it, was it, were you hurting at the end of the mile? Were you winded? Were you hurting at half a mile, but you're darn well going to push through for a mile? Like that wouldn't be necessarily a mile you can do in a competitive work environment, right? So I sometimes I think they guess when they do specifics, but if they know specifically about an answer and it's, a, it's specifically accurate because they, they've made sure that it's accurate and the answer is not, you know, necessarily going to shoot them in the foot in which they case they can describe it in, in a variety of ways that might be even more accurate and less damaging. Um, so I think it's kind of tricky. Yeah. Well, I think you raise a good point and that is that the answers you give in the form should not be, you know, something you could do one time if a gun was being held to your head, this is what you could do on a regular basis, you know, week after week, month after month. And, and I think that, you know, people, I'll tell my clients, you know, you're not trying to be a hero. This is not your worst day. This is not your best day. This is an average day. And then, of course, in the social security world, you know, it's very hard to sort of compartmentalize uh, or to, to to reduce down to, you know, somebody's life uh, that they have lived over the last year, you know, what a typical day is like. But you sort of have to do that. You have to give them an answer. You right. Can, and like, if you look at, yeah. I was going to say, when people say it depends, that, that that's not good enough. So, right, right, yeah. right. Um, unless they're going to be a little more specific, maybe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or sometimes I'd like a range, like five minutes when I'm in, my pain is elevated, 20 minutes on one of my better days or something. Like, right. Um, or if I like looking at number 20 again with all those, you know, the lists of exertional and, and mental things on number 20 on the function report, mm-hmm. you know, it, it says, are any of these things affected? So when someone, a lot of times I find that people will, not check it off because they can actually do it once. And like you said, that doesn't mean, because it's an eight hour day. Right. The SSA doesn't drive home those details, probably because they don't want to confuse people, but also they're going to start hearing a little more accurate stuff if they start detailing the questions a little, you know, more precisely, I think. Yeah. So, well, my sense, my sense is with these, these forms, and I've kind of looked at them because I actually wrote a, a how-to book about the forms years ago, and they keep expanding. It almost seems like there's somebody or there's a group of people at Social Security who need something to do. And so they keep expanding the forms and making them more and more, you know, detailed, more and more complex. But of course, with deep, with complexity comes confusion. So like you said, you yeah. know, it's, it could be very hard to kind of pin down what an average day is, but that's what you almost have to do is to sort of suspend reality for a little while and, and not think about it in terms of what yesterday was like or last week, but on an average, what you might be able to do. And again, um, what you can do on an ongoing basis 
eight hours a day, five days a week. Um, now, the other thing I get questions about, I'm sure you do as well, people say, well, you fill the form out for me, and I will not do that. My attitude is that you know this is evidence, this is something that's coming from the claimant, um, that it would be inappropriate for me to guess about their activities and their functions. What's your take on that? I agree. Um, the way we do it, um, I don't have them fill it out blindly, not having a clue and sending it to the SSA. Nothing goes to the SSA. It comes to me. I think that's my job as the yep. lawyer. Right. Um, so I I, ga I gather the data first. It's basically the questions that the SSA has, plus I have some additional ones that I think are important that the SSA doesn't ask about. And I kind of think there's a reason why they don't, because I think th it would, they'd be very telling, you know, in a disabling way if they were asked. So that's just me being, you know, my skeptical self. Mm -hmm. But um, I think uh, when they send something to me and it's not responsive, so we end up typing up the function report after we get their data. Um, when there's something, the way they wrote it, that seems very not responsive, or I'm like, are you sure that's right? Let's discuss this. You know, and I get the, the more accurate answer. We do type it up. I know some people don't like to do that because they like the SSA to see the sloppy handwriting and stuff. Mm -hmm. I got over that for myself. I, I you know, uh, I it, it literally says um, claimant John Doe with typing assist by S Joy. Yeah. For um, so that's how I do it. So it's very clear that they've been um, the answers are from them, but they've had my assistance. You know, so and it's just to literally make them responsive because you see answers. I had an example here. Um, you know, on question number six, what do you do all day from the time you wake up to the time mm. you go to bed? I've seen answers that are like, I'm in pain all day. I mm -hmm. suffer all day. And that's what they do all day in their mind. Right. But that's not really responsive. So that's what I mean by we have to call them up and be like, all right, let's go through this. You know, they're asking you what you do. You know, so I, I start fleshing out and then we put it together for them. And then it goes back to them for approval. Is Tell me if anything's inaccurate here. And if not, then they say, no, it's good to go. And then we shoot it up. Yeah. What I hear you saying, and I think this is, is, is a really good way to approach it is, you know, you don't actually, the person actually completes the information and you're looking for situations where they're saying something that might be uh, not believable. You know, again, I'm at level 10 pain all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, again, from experience, you know that judges aren't going to find that believable. Um, I tend to have my clients actually write it out. They'll, I'll say, send it to me. I'm happy to review it for you, uh, make suggestions. Um, I don't type them out for people. Um, I just, we just don't have the resources to do that, but I will review what they say and assist them with it um, in terms of, um, you know, just giving a little bit better information and, and being more accurate. Don't know where to begin? Get my free Secrets to Getting Approved Survival Kit. Inside the kit, I discuss such things as how do you know if you have a case? what to do if you're denied, how to avoid common mistakes, and my ever popular, how to avoid trick questions from the judge. Subscribing is free and easy. Just visit ssdanswers.com and look for the survival kit for instant access. Remember, time is eroding your position every day. Don't delay, act now. That's ssdanswers.com for your free survival kit. Well, let's talk about pain because that, that's something that that's a does come up a good bit. How do you recommend, how do you advise your clients when responding to pain questionnaires? How do you tell them to describe their level of pain? Let's talk about a um, back case. You know, it, it, yeah, it's it's a tough one. I mean, I, I think if someone has low back pain like a two, it's not really that bad. 
on the same token, because we, you know, all of us that get a few years on us, right? Um, On the same token, if you're claiming to be a 10, I've seen people say 10 plus, Mm -hmm. but they're literally at their doctor's office and they drove there. Right. And they're having a conversation. So I don't think anyone's going to actually believe you're at a 10, 10 because, um, you know, that that would be inconsistent in many people's minds with being able to drive there, not canceling the appointment, not being stuck in bed, right. you know, until, you know, some sort of major muscle relaxant or something kicks in. So, yeah, they have to be. It's funny. I have a client like right now that keeps doing that. And I'm like, you realize so I think they, you know, their subjective number, the way they think of the numbers isn't always what the medical profession is is um, thinking a 10 would be, yeah. and, and, and therefore a judge or adjudicator. Yeah, and I think also, you know, pain can change throughout the day. So, you know, I'll tell somebody, does it ever spike up to, you know, they'll say it's a 10 all day. So, we're, you know, if you're able to hold a conversation, because I've actually had judges, I remember there was one judge who was a bit of a smart aleck, and somebody would testify, my pain's at a 10. He'd say, well, let's dismiss the hearing. I'll call an ambulance for you. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, oh, wow. yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that, you know, you, but that's, I think the judges are, I think most people have to realize, you know, when you're applying for disability, judges are cynical. I mean, they see people coming in every single day saying, I'm disabled. I can't work, pay me. And so, right. you know, one message I send to my clients is you want to be a reluctant claimant. You want to be, you know, somebody who just does not want to be here. And you right. want to tell the judge that this is, you know, this is, you, you don't have an attitude. I call it having an attitude of entitlement. You don't want to have that. You want to make sure that the judge realizes you don't want to be here. And again, if your pain does spike up to a nine or a 10, you know, two hours a day, that's the way you describe it. My pain is always at a six, you know, on a 10 point scale, but, you know, by two or three in the afternoon when the pain meds wear off before I take them again, it may spike up to an eight or a nine, or if I overdo it, it may spike up to an eight or nine and at least, you know, three or four days a week, it's an eight or nine for two or three hours a day. That's a more realistic overview in my view of what somebody's life might be like. And a judge could, you know, could accept that. Um, I totally agree. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it because it, it I, I don't even know where it wouldn't vary. You yeah, know? you know, exactly. if you just took your meds and they've kicked in, it's not going to be a ten anymore. And, and I think also, you know, judges. Uh, I don't know if you find this, but it, it, hearings, but judges will sometimes take testimony, and that becomes the basis for a hypothetical question. Um, and if the judge finds the person believable, um, and the hypothetical, the limitations in the hypothetical question are directly from testimony, you want to be, darn well make sure that testimony is, you know, is accurate, and it's realistic. Um, so the judge would, would do that, right? Because I mean, yeah, yeah uh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah it, it's, I don't think I've seen my judges do that. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's one or two judges locally here in Atlanta that would do that. Um, I don't see quite as much um, on a national scale, but every once in a while you'll hear that. And uh, are they are the judges then taking the testimony and using it as a favorable a favorable? Yeah, usually for favorable, right? If it's going to be favorable if the person you know testifies about certain limitations um, and they're very specific about them. I've seen judges take that um, specific testimony and that becomes part of the hypothetical, you know, that the person um, needs to keep his legs extended because of, let's say, circulation issues for, you know, two to three hours in a day, that specific limitation will end up in the, um, in the one of the hypotheticals. Yeah. Yeah. Which actually brings me to another point or another question. Um, when you're preparing your clients for testimony and this kind of is kind of dovetails on the forms, um, what do you tell them about being specific? How do you, how do you advise them about being very specific when they're testifying or filling out the forms? Well, yeah, almost two different things. Um, I did have a recent hearing where the claimant 
was giving estimates of like walking, you know, all that kind of stuff that the judge had asked for. And it, it definitely wasn't what she had told me. So, so he said to her, and I knew she couldn't do it. I've known her for a really long time. And uh, he said, are you guessing? And she goes, well, yeah, I think maybe if I try hard, you know, mm-hmm. and he goes, ma'am, you know, like, I don't want you to guess. If you don't know, just tell me. And it was a favorable. It turned out just fine. Yeah. You know, she was very, she was trying to please him doing that whole, you know, yep. you know, please in, in a way that's not really helping your case, but just because she's a, you know, pro, you know person with pride and mm-hmm. support, you know. So, yeah, I think one of the things is get over the pride, you know, um, obviously don't do the opposite. Don't be a malingerer either. Right. Don't right. be an exaggerator. Um, but it's it's time to not be superwoman or superman. Specifics, like, again, I, I, I specifics are good if you know them to be so. Like, you've actually recorded it. Like, I have my people, um, I encourage them to document how many times they have to go to that recliner chair and put up their mm-hmm. legs during a day. Uh, because then when when it comes to testimony, if the judge says, well, how do you how do you remote recall that? Well, I actually keep a calendar, judge. Yeah, and by then, hopefully maybe the calendar would be in if it's appropriate. You know, it would depend. But right. Um, yeah, because specific sometimes they'll say things that are like, I think she doesn't even realize how far that is. You know, like it, sometimes it's a matter of two, like uh, they'll say I can walk for 20 minutes. I go, oh, wow. Can you go a mile? That's about a, yeah. about a walking mile. Oh goodness, no! Mm-hmm. I can go to the mailbox, um, you know, which is you know maybe two blocks away, you know, whatever the whatever the case may be. But when you when you start asking, or I'll talk about like a grocery store aisle, I'm like, so how many aisles can you do in the store? Oh gosh, about one and a half, two. I have to just go in and get something quick and leave. I go, are you sure then that you could do a mile? You know, like the inconsistency. Like people have different. You know, I don't know if you ever did like state law stuff before. I remember I used to do depositions and such in insurance defense cases. And people on depositions would grossly get wrong time frames. Right. You know, like it was amazing. But well, this this is actually, you know, why it's so important to, you know, talk to your lawyer and to do, you know, to really discuss testimony. I mean, you know, pre-hearings, you know, my, many times my pre-hearing calls will take longer than the hearing because, you know, we'll start by oh, asking, absolutely. Yeah, you know, ask questions and then, you know, the, the answers you get back just don't, you know, they're not, someone's not intentionally trying to mislead you, but they're, you know, they don't, like you said, they don't know how long, you know, a mile is. I mean, again, like you said, 20, 22 minutes is a typical walking pace for a mile. Um, but, you know, that if somebody says, well, I could never do a mile, but, you know, could they do 20 minutes? Well, yeah. So it really just depends, but that's why you really want to practice with your lawyer. That That's right. uh that's that's really really important. I think it's so yeah so important. Sometimes I'll have you know when we do the prep, we'll go over the actual the function report mm-hmm. answers because that you know that's things that they've already kind of put in writing, and sometimes they've changed. So then you know the testimony is going to you know diverge from the function report, but it's a good kind of checklist. So I would say to someone who doesn't have a lawyer, maybe go over your function report and see what you said there. Um, I kind of wish people would also know what some of the answers actually mean. So when you're thinking about whether it's accurate, you know, make sure you know it's accurate because it could be something that um, is going to be detrimental to the case. So you kind of want to know what everything means. Yep. Yeah. All right. And la- last question on this this topic. I mean, one of the things we just touched on very briefly is work history. Um, I'm finding that judges in every hearing, the first question they ask is about work history. 
And what gets confusing about it, at least I've had a number of times, is the the work, you know, the, the detailed earnings query will have the official name of the employer, you know, but not the name. So let's say somebody worked at Wendy's, but it may be, you know, doctors, medical advisors, you know, partnership number two. Right. Some affiliate name, right? Yeah. But right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I think that, you know, you can waste a lot of time at a hearing going over work history. Um, what do you tell your clients? How do you prepare them to testify about work history or what do you put in the work history report? Well, the work history report is usually long before I have the detailed earnings, right? Because they come mm -hmm. out at hearings. So right. um, so we do the work history and I always hope that it's it's accurate. Um, obviously, I told you like, like with function report, I get their work history data and then we actually go through it because um, I find, you know, it's so important, particularly for the over 50 crowd that that's, but even under 50, because that could come into the, you know, at a later time with a different application. So we want it to be really super accurate. I go through, I actually go through now with the detailed earnings um, from D section or wherever it is. I forget where it is in the, in the file. And I actually go back the 15 years and say, so what's this, this, and this. And then we'll find out it's all just different construction companies and they're all doing the same work. So that's good. Mm -hmm. But I like to get it documented. So if it comes up, I can sometimes um, nip lengthy testimony needs in the, in the, in the bud by telling the judge, judge, you know, my understanding is those three are all, yep. you know, different names of the same company or different right. companies because they were union, you know, sometimes it's all under different names and, um, but it does it. I think it helps clear it up. And then we also know, so we can go in there a little more securely with, with knowing that the file is as we say it is. Yeah, exactly. And I've got a, I got a hearing coming up where my client, it was a software designer, software engineer, and basically he wrote software, did needs analysis and wrote software and did it for 15 or 20 different companies. And I just can imagine in a hearing, the judge going over 15 different companies, it's going to take up most of the time. And, and of course, we want the time to be focused on impairment. So I would say what I try to do uh, whenever possible is I'll send them the, uh, the the query report from the exhibit file. This is what the judge is looking at. Let's make sure you can testify about all these jobs so that this is really, really accurate. Because uh, again, that's just a, a something that's going to really shouldn't take up a lot of time. And unfortunately, sometimes it does. Some judges just really get very focused on that. I guess they, I don't know why they do, but they they, they do. And that, that's really yeah. kind of a, a waste of time. Well, right, I guess any, they have to, right? Yeah, I mean, they yeah. have to address, you know, they have yeah, to get the vocation. in there. Right. And I think that kind of goes to the bigger picture that social security disability is about somebody's work capacity. So vocational capacity at step four of the famous uh, sequential evaluation process, you know, can they go back to past work? So the judge has to really have a clear understanding of the past work. And at the hearings, you know, uh, for those who have not been to a hearing, um, the judge will ask the vocational witness to classify past work using uh, the outdated uh, dictionary of occupational titles. Still boggles my mind. You know, it's 40 years outdated, but they still haven't fixed it. It's but, such uh, a shame. I know. Yeah, it is. Um, although somebody was saying in one of our roundtables that uh, whenever they've tried to uh, update it, that, that the res unfortunately the results typically mean fewer approvals. So maybe, you know. You, you know, you know I, I, I worry about that on the um, the day that more remote work is possible and people right. can work from home. I fear. Yeah. I fear what that's going to do. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, well, I think we've covered what uh, what what uh, what what I'd like to. I'm going to get you back on to talk about some specific cases, uh, but uh, specific specific types of injuries and and so forth. But for now, I think we've covered uh, kind of the forms. I think big picture, the takeaway for those listening would be: you know, you want to be specific. You want to use your lawyer as a resource um, to review what you've written. 
um, to think about your activities on kind of an average day and to really think about what you can and cannot do. And, and you know, the first time to think about those things is not at the hearing. It's right. really long before, right? And so, you know, look at the forms, look what you've written, try to be as consistent as possible because people do read the forms, judges do read them. And, uh, and I think that, you know, it's one of these things where, um, you know, you can create problems for yourself if you do it wrong. It's not going to say help you that much when you do it right, but it definitely can create problems if you do it wrong. So right. um, it's definitely worth spending a little bit of time on it. So, all right. So I appreciate your time on this. And again, we will talk shortly about uh, some, spe some specific cases. Sounds good. Thank you, Jonathan. Very good. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode. Subscribe to this podcast for regular updates at iTunes. Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this podcast useful, then please give me a five-star review because it helps others see the value of my information. Thank you in advance. For a 100% free and confidential evaluation of your case, visit ssdanswers.com. That's ssdanswers.com. Don't delay. Act now.